Welcome everybody listening at home. This is the Between the Walls podcast with your host, Timothy Laws, that is me, and this is a podcast all about talking about just interesting things or things that I find interesting and things that I'm passionate about, and just talk about it in a fun way, casual. So, yes, this is the very first episode of this podcast, and today we have a very special guest, my own brother, Austin. Can you say hi, Austin? Hello. (laughs) Thank you. So, for this particular episode of the podcast, the very first episode, we will be talking about, in particular, some of our favorite films, movies, stuff that we have really found a connection with and really like. I have been into films for quite a while. I started, I really figured out that I liked them and wanted to pursue and keep up with them back in, like, 2014. That's my kind of thing. And I, um, you know, I always knew about movies and grew up with them, of course, but I just really got on the internet and learned what movies are all about, got into them more, and thought, you know, it was interesting and I would go with it. So I've just been doing that ever since. And, um, what's your, I know it's kind of similar, but what's your story, Austin, on your relation with movies? Well, it's basically the same as you. I think there's two ways it goes, and for me, I thought the only thing I was good at was movies, so I went to school for it, but you're just kind of, you do it as a hobby, which is respectable, but I decided to pursue it, but yeah, it was around the same time. It was like 2014. I just realized that it was something that I could study. I don't know. I think there's a point in anybody's film career where they realize that you can look into them as something instead of just watching them. I think there's other there's a lot of ways to look at it. I mean, you can collect movies, you can just watch them, you can review them. I shoot to make them. That's kind of my thing. But yeah, uh, similar roots basically. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. You mentioned how you study cinema. I already know this, but um, what school do you go to, and what is your major? I go to SUNY Purchase, which is a small, tiny school by Westchester, right above the city in New York. And uh, I started off in my first semester, I was a cinema studies major, and then I thought that was boring because all I was doing was studying movies, and now I'm a screenwriting major. So I get to write them, and it's much more engaging. I'm actually doing stuff. I actually just wrote my first short film screenplay this week, so that's what I'm doing. Okay, very interesting. Yeah, that's cool. I I didn't know that last part, but yeah. Yeah. Very cool stuff. So yeah, that's kind of the thing we wanted to hit home about is that we both are brothers and we just really love movies in kind of similar ways we got started in similar ways okay so with that let's just get right into the main interview main chunk of it and uh first i will talk about one of my favorite films or actually my favorite film my number one film and it is the original halloween from 1978 And now you see, this one requires kind of a backstory. So, basically, the way it happened was, you know, me and and Austin, we both grew up with Halloween, but also just slashers, which is kind of weird. We, uh, like when we were- Oh yeah. Yeah, when we were little, we, uh, like when we were little, little, we watched slashers. (laughs) That whole sub-genre, whatever you want to call it. So, and we watched Halloween a lot, like, every year on Halloween. Good stuff. Educational. Informative. Yeah, very, very much. Um, 
No, not really. So yeah, basically, it got to be where, in like, 2017, 2018, when I'm a teenager, you know, I'm in high school, and there have been all these, uh, I don't know if you remember this, but I do pretty fondly. As, as you're going into like 2017, there were all these new, supposedly new movies in the slasher genre coming out. There were like rumors and con confirmations about a new Halloween, a new Friday 13th, a new Child's Play, and all this stuff that some of it didn't end up being true. Others did, like Halloween, which I'll get into. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do. It was a weird time because most of them sucked and you knew most of them were going to suck when they came out. Yeah, but yeah. it was a weird, it was a weird time. I it was like, it was like slashers were hopping on the Marvel train. I think. Yeah, but then it never really came to fruition. Like it, I, I guess the biggest success was the movie that I'm going to talk about in a little bit. But yeah, it just, it just, it was like an attempt, and a lot of studios just still don't see the viability there. But I don't know, there's yeah. nostalgia and stuff. But anyway, playing off of that nostalgia and just in this time period, 2017, 2018, I was, I was kind of, I had these in the, on the back burner, just thinking about them in the back of my mind, you know. But one day, I remember that I saw a video online, and it was discussing, it was from these fans, these big fans of Halloween, of course, I didn't know this at the time, the Halloween franchise, but fans of that, and they were talking about the newest Halloween, and they were giving, like, very frequent updates, and they still do to this day. But, um, and they were talking about news about the new Halloween movie, and they kept doing this until the release of it, and beyond even, like I said. So yeah, I just really like this video and their style, and and I just, you know, it's like a, that's how the internet is, you just find one thing, and then, you know, it kind of can become a passion, it can go really far. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, in anticipation for this new Halloween movie that was going to be, it was going to be through Blumhouse, who did Paranormal Activity and all this other stuff, like, notorious, or not notorious, but, like, famous for, like, horror movies and giving horror movies a chance with a kind of a lower budget and getting a good return. They were getting the rights to Halloween and trying to do that and do a new one, and Jamie Lee Curtis, the original actress, was on board. And so, this all just, you know, resulted in me being very excited for the newest Halloween movie that came out in... October of 2018, I saw it in the theater with you and our mother, so that was that was very fun. I remember that. Very oh yeah, fun. that was very good. Although I didn't, I was disappointed. In it. But that's this is all just semantics, really. This is dressing. To where another thing that happened concurrently with all of this was that I got into and kind of rediscovered the original Halloween from way back in 1978. The original movie directed by John Carpenter, and it was, you know, very famous, very influential in Hollywood, and very influential for the 80s, and the whole slasher thing, kind of started the whole slasher thing. Dirt cheap, too. It was yeah. like less than a million, wasn't it? It was, I mean, of course it was, you can account for inflation, but it was, the whole budget was, it was initially $300,000, and then they needed... They wanted to get Donald Pleasance, and he was, even back then, he was a pretty big actor. So they spent an extra $25,000 to get him on board. Yeah. So that's kind of funny. And, um, and yeah, just... Or, uh, nobody, nobody would have seen it without him. Yeah, that's a factor into it, too. Yeah, so I just kind of rediscovered this movie from my youth that I was pretty fond of at the, as, as a kid. 
but I really got to appreciate it as a teenager and appreciate it for how influential it was, how just simple yet good it is. It's such a good movie and it's hard to explain without just seeing it, but like, it's just so charming and so, just so <coughs> direct. I, yeah, I, I call it the Star Wars of horror movies. Yeah, and I mean, it really came out, it came out a year later after Star Wars, so, kind of like, it was kind of like this Brutally, bitch. it's a brutally simple movie. Yeah, and it's just like, and that's the point, it's not supposed to cut corners or anything. Yeah. Even though they were, to be honest. It's still very good, and it works well, even in 2021. And so, yeah, it was kind of this mix of, this kind of boiling pot of many factors that led to me... Again, rediscovering this movie. It was a mix of, like, nostalgia, of just, like, the look of the movie and certain moments and shots and lines of the movie that just stick with you and are very memorable. That's another thing about the movie. It's very memorable. Yeah. And it casts, like, a wide net of being memorable. Like, you can remember it from, like, the POV shots or certain funny lines or the ending. It's just classic. <laughs> It's just from that golden age of, like, that second golden age of cinema is a way to think of it, like, in the late 70s or, or like, the 80s. Yeah. Yeah, and that makes with, like, just trivia from the movie. I just really like trivia and knowing things about things, really. And there's a lot. The, the story of Halloween, the original Halloween, is very interesting, I think. Kind of rivals the film itself in being interesting and fascinating so yeah basically the story is that just in anticipation for the newest entry in the franchise that came out in 2018 i just really rediscovered this film and how i liked it and i and it just really connected with me i think that's a big part of it is when a film can connect with you yeah and this one definitely did and i'm glad it did i have literally a poster of it and I think it will remain my favorite movie unless something drastic happens, you know? I don't know. That could always change. So, yeah, I just really ended up loving Halloween. Over kind of a long amount of time, it just became my favorite. And it took me a while to realize how much it meant to me. But, yeah, I just really liked it. And I still do. Oh, yes. I love Halloween, too. Yeah, what are your thoughts on it? Like, I know, it, well, it's been talked to death. It's kind of like, you can't really, it's so classic and so old. Yeah, you can't say anything, you can't say like, anything about Halloween. There's nothing to say about it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's one of those things where it's, the simplicity carries it for me because I, like, you can't really nitpick that movie. I don't think you can at all, even if you try really hard. Maybe it's just invincible because of how big it is. But another part of it, that's probably one of my favorite parts of it that I think carries it all the way through. Besides its simplicity, is probably the music because I just think that's one of the best scores of all time. Yeah, we didn't even talk about that yet. <laughs> um, yeah, that I mean everybody knows that song. Yeah. Who uh, who composed that? Oh well, you see, it was it was just this little guy that the director hired. His name is John Carpenter. Oh right, right, right. That's true. Right? Yeah, I forgot about that. He's musical. Yeah, it's easy, it's easy to forget about that, too. Like, there are no real directors that really do that, where they have that musical element. Yeah. It's usually just, like, you have, like, sectors. Like, here's the director, he's on his own, sort of. You have the screenwriter, sometimes they're one and the same. But then you have the music and the post-production and the 
production crew. Yeah, usually if the director's musical, he's still not going to make it because he has literally a movie to make. I mean, I know even even somebody like David Lynch, not to bring up David Lynch this early, but that guy, he's like arguably knows more about music than cinema, and he has made a ton of music, but he didn't even compose like Twin Peaks or anything. It's weird. Well, that's, yeah, wow. I didn't really even you know that. You've got to commend John Carpenter for biting the bullet and making one of the best movie soundtracks of all time. Yeah. While also making one of the best movies of all time. Yeah. So, yeah, John Carpenter is just a legend, living legend, really. He, like, he kind of just stopped making movies, and then he came back for Halloween. But, like, he really did not need to come back. Like, he's just such a big name without being, like, too well-known, you know? Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Glad he's still with us. Yeah. Hopefully for much longer. But he's getting up there. Yeah. It's crazy how... He directed a movie 40 years ago. More than 40 yeah. years ago now. Yeah. But still, like George Lucas, he was young. Pretty young. I think he was like early 30s, late 20s. Young guy with a vision and a camera. Yeah, it's like, you had a lot of stories of that back then with Spielberg and George Lucas and all that. Yeah. It's like a whole movement. It's weird. Oh, okay. So I just found out. Maybe this is wrong, but it seems pretty right. It says that by today's inflation, Halloween would have cost a million four hundred thousand. Wow. Which is still like nothing. Yeah, movies are really expensive. Like, yeah, they don't expensive. need to. Do. Yeah, that's like a whole art form in and of itself. Is like low budget movies. Budgeting, <laughs> doing numbers good. Yeah, you can kind of see that with like. Robert Rodriguez and Tarantino had to get started yeah. somewhere, and they just kind of made the most for their money. Like, uh, what's that guy's name? Peter Jack? No. Who did Lord of the Rings? Is that Peter Jackson? Yeah. Okay. I always get them mixed up with like J.R.R. Tolkien and the Game of Thrones guy. But anyway. <laughs> oh yeah, I get them. I get them mixed up with Guillermo del Toro for some reason. So. Yeah, it's confusing. Yeah, I guess they do look alike, although one is Mexican, the other isn't. Um, yeah. They're from two separate parts of the world. Is Peter... I think Peter Jackson's from New Zealand. Yeah, I was gonna say. That's his native land. John Carpenter is all American, isn't he? Yeah, pretty sure. Yeah. He makes, like, he makes, like, the most Western movies ever. Yeah, he really does. Very American. Yeah, Peter Jackson's also kind of, like, a... He got his start, really, directing, of course. But also, he's kind of a special effects guy. Oh, yeah. Like, have you ever heard of his... Yeah, that's... Well... No, I haven't. Like, what stuff? Like, in, like, the mid-80s, he got his start, and he did, like... He did this movie called, um... What was it called? Bad Taste. And, um, you know... Oh, I know about Bad Taste. Yeah, yeah. And it was shot all in New Zealand, and, um... With his friends, and, like... There's a whole story around the production. It's, It's interesting. But yeah, it was just like a splatter film with all these like monsters and just blood everywhere. And so you could see how Yeah. He, <laughs> and that was his He still film. does. Yeah. It's all practical effects. He still does it. Yeah. And he kind of used he used that stuff on Lord of the Rings supposedly, you know. Yeah. Um It's Lord of the Rings is like all miniatures. Yeah, yeah. And um and then he did Dead Alive and then 10 years later, Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Oh, that's right. 
brain dead slash yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's bizarre. It's confusing. Okay. I think we could talk about your first movie now. Good. Okay. Yeah, just get into it whenever you want. Okay. Uh, I got into movies and I watched a bunch of Hitchcock and I did the basic rigor that you need to do to get into it. Or what they tell you, at least. Ironically, my favorite movie comes from my mom. It's Zodiac, David Fincher's crime noir masterpiece. I, it's one of those movies where you just I just love everything about it, but it's also one of those movies where I could watch it back-to-back -back nonstop and never get sick of it. I still do to this day. watched it pretty recently. It's I don't rewatch a lot of stuff because I just can't. I'm just always wanting to, like expand my palette but i never get sick of zodiac the whole thing with it is that it's this weird movie that's like completely accurate like i think a big part of it is that it's like so true to the time period of the zodiac killings and it's weird because it lives in this little bubble where you only love it if you really love david fincher i think cuz for the most part at least because not a lot of people saw it it's one of his underrated movies but it's a star-studded cast, and it didn't make a lot of money, and it's not talked about that much. It's not talked about, like, Seven or Social Network or any of that, but it's I like it more than those. But, uh, I don't know. When you, when you say favorite movie, it's not always best movie. It rarely ever is, and I don't think Zodiac's the best movie ever, but I think it's almost a masterpiece. And... It's just this it's this weird movie that just meanders for so long and just tells this story based on a book from the person from the main character in it Robert Graysmith who like basically came pretty close to solving who killed the Zodiac killer and it's not something that I'm or I was particularly interested in I just knew it was a part of history but even without that history this movie's amazing I mean it's a very cinematic story it's like this cartoonist just falls in love with this case and goes crazy over it and kind of loses touch with his family over it and loses sleep and the music is a big part of it but to me it's like it's like a perfect movie because it has all it's it's like it's not just one genre it's like film noir has aspects of that and it's there's good romance and it's not so much it like does the modern crime thing where it's you know there's a mystery cops that you care about who have emotions that aren't just doing their job that's kind of the whole point of the movie is that everybody's kind of losing their mind over this thing and there's tons of themes in it i mean you can learn about persistence in this movie i mean robert graysmith kind of just kept with the case even when nobody else was willing to like even after like eight i think eight years pass and he's still freaking out about this case and he just wants to get closure. And yeah, it's it's also terrifying and it creeps me out. And it's like, there's one scene in it, the basement scene, where he's like closing in on somebody who is kind of suspect. And they go into a basement and it's just tense. And it's this great piece of filmmaking. And it's David Fincher, so it's gorgeous. And he uses CGI in all the right ways. Like he does CGI blood, but it's only in dark lit settings. So it looks good. And uh, any scene where the Zodiac actually does killing is like brutally realistic and like, my, my mom has a hard time watching those scenes because they're just so accurate and you're just seeing these people that are genuinely just innocent get murdered in cold blood and yeah, I think that, that covers why I love Zodiac I, 
I don't, I don't, I don't know. I think I get, I get blinded by my favorite movies and I don't want to look at the flaws. I'm sure there are flaws, but to me, it's pretty much a masterpiece. And I wish more people would talk about it. But I also kind of like that I, I live in a bubble where not a lot of people talk about it because it is kind of a hidden gem in that sense. But yeah, I don't really know much of what you think of Zodiac. I know you watched it recently. Yeah, so like I I always knew that it was um, one of my mom's favorite films, Armand. And you know, just growing up, she would always talk about it. And so it kind of like hyped me up for it. Especially, like, as I got older, as I got to be a teenager and actually appreciate a movie like Zodiac. And, you know, of course, be able to watch it, because it's rated R, of course. Pretty violent in some points, like you said. And, yeah, I just watched it a few weeks back. You know, it's like it's like a movie that I want to like and I can appreciate. But, I don't know, it just, it just doesn't connect with me personally. Not as much, at least. You know, and I can still appreciate it. I, I do know that it is a very good movie. Yeah, I remember watching, like, the last hour, and I really got invested into it. And, yeah, just really kind of fun, but, like, also accessible and good. And, you know, it just it just handles a lot of things well. It is long, and there is some... Yeah, I, I mean, I, yeah, I want to I preface that. It isn't for everybody. I don't think... Yeah, it's accessible, but I don't think... Like, I can see people being bored at this movie. I can see it being too long. And I think maybe I just saw it at the right time in my life. But every, it's also kind of... It's just epic in scale. It's just this odyssey of this guy who's losing his mind over this mystery that nobody has... There's barely any leads on it, but this shows a side to detectives' movies where that you don't really see, where... In crimes, you kind of just dig at literally everything you have, all the resources that are there. And, uh, I mean, it's based on a book that's based on killings that actually happened, a first-hand account. So literally every little detail is there, and it gets them closer to solving the crime. And they still don't, but I just it's extremely detailed. I don't think it misses anything. I feel like you could show this movie to somebody in the FBI or a detective, and they'd be like, yeah, that's how it goes. Yeah, yeah. And it's just, even if, like, I feel like a Zodiac movie is kind of hard to do bad, because, like, not to say that Fincher is a bad filmmaker, he's far from bad. He's oh, he's one of the greats of our yeah, time. He's, he's great. But, like, what I mean is, like, the Zodiac story and how it really happened, it's just crazy. Craziest thing like that would happen. And it's just, like, inspired so much, I think. Like, it inspired movies i'm sure or aspects of movies books stories in general it's just crazy and it's yeah and it all really happened insane yeah it's a it's an oddity i mean that's like a once in a lifetime thing and the people that went through it they never forget it yeah and uh well it's crazy and it is like a kind of a brutally real movie in some points because of how it's based on a true story and how just like life takes hold of a lot of the characters like without spoiling too much uh one of the characters the last time you see them they're very uh not doing so well very uh oh yeah yeah and other characters just kind of go with things it's interesting to see how it's like a character study yeah it's a real yeah it's a real progression of time i mean it in just like in real life, these things happen, and people move on from them, and the big things, 
that carries it for me is that you see this plethora of cops in the movie who, as time progresses and as this thing doesn't get solved, they it, their lives go to shambles, and it's not necessarily blaming the Zodiac killings or blaming the obsession of it. It, it kind of goes the opposite direction. It just basically says, yeah, sometimes life doesn't work out for people, and it's not it's not romanticizing obsession, you know? All the obsession in that movie is focused on Jake Gyllenhaal's character, who's also, like, I think my favorite actor. He's kind of just the one guy that's obsessed with it throughout the whole thing, and... Uh, yeah, I think that I think that's special in a in a movie like that. Yeah, very. Even if even if you're somebody like me and you don't really have a connection to it, you can still see how it's a very very good movie. Criminally yeah. underrated, I think. Um, it's just sad. I'm glad it didn't like tank his career. You know, we could get the Social Network and Gone Girl and all these other movies that came yeah. after. You know. I'm, and Mink Mink just came out. He's not done. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't even seen that yet. Yeah, he also, I don't know, it's it's weird because he does, like, he shines with crime stuff and he knows how it works. I mean, Seven is a crime movie, Zodiac's a crime movie, he did uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo deals with it, and uh, it's, the majority of his movies are completely different, like, those three are kind of his, some of his strongest, but then there's completely abstract stuff like Fight Club and Social Network. Yeah. But it's it's interesting, he, like, he likes, when he, when he does deal with real life stuff, he kind of nails it, and he likes being accurate, which is something that I value because he does not like to stretch the details. He just because like he's not gonna you're not gonna adapt a story if it's so uninteresting that you have to change details, you know. So yeah. I can just I see this movie and I feel like this guy read Robert Graysmith's book about the killings and he just loved it and he was like, this is a story that I that the details are all the story's there. It's like already told. I just want to put it on cinema. Yeah. Yeah. And also, um, that's not to say that's not to say it's not original because it is because everything he, that man does with a camera is brilliant and every scene in that movie is like a wallpaper. I swear, <laughs> he 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 has one of the weirdest styles ever. It, his movies look so bizarre and out there, but the stories are generally pretty grounded, yeah, except yeah. for like Fight Club. It's weird. Yeah, he's quite the quite the director, quite the filmmaker. Yeah. Um, yeah, I haven't really seen too much of his movies, but I've seen enough, and recently I see, like, Fight Club and all these other ones, but, um, yeah. Ugh, people talk about Fight Club too much, in my opinion. <laughs> it's a fun ruse, but I don't. it doesn't stick for me. It doesn't stick like Seven does with The Social Network. I mean, I would definitely say The Social Network is his best movie. I think it's one of the best movies of all time. Not my favorite. Zodiac's my favorite, but... He just doesn't, he barely ever misses. Yeah, that's like a whole other thing about how the social network is kind of like, a lot of people nominated it as the best movie of last decade, which is like, really fair, honestly. Yeah. With how so much it predicted, in a way, and like, I saw a really good video on it, like, and the whole video was shot vertically in portrait mode, and how, you know, it just kind of predicted the internet, in a way. And was on it before yeah. people really cared. But yeah, that's yeah. a whole that's a whole other thing. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. He leaves he leaves the repercussions of Facebook and social media for you to realize. It's not social network's not a satire against social media. It's actually just trying to tell you how it happened and how it was kinda involving corruption, which is a good like I said, he's a very honest storyteller. Yeah, yeah. 
I I make this. I have this joke with my friend Jacob. Uh, yeah, have you seen? You, you know about Catfish, right? Yeah, the show and the movie. Yeah, it started out as a really good documentary. I have I have a joke that I always make that Catfish is kind of the perfect sequel to the Social Network, or like an epilogue. Yeah, or like a companion piece. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> yeah, it's this guy that makes this inherently destructive social media who just wants to gain from it because he knows how susceptible humans are. And then you can see, you can just watch Catfish and you can see it in action. Yeah, and like, I don't know, I feel like David Fincher was like perfect with Mark Zuckerberg's character. Oh yeah. In that movie, it's just crazy. It's funny because you don't hear Mark Zuckerberg talk about that, probably because he knows that it's completely accurate. He's not going <laughs> to argue that. He's not going to argue that movie. Yeah. Although he did try and censor it and try and prevent it from coming out. Oh yeah, that's that's a whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can't get past Fincher. <laughs> but yeah, and also another thing, a supplemental thing I wanted to attach to this podcast was how was kind of the physical media around these movies. Because actually, because like I, to kind of break the fourth wall in a way, I knew you were gonna say Zodiac is one of your movies, and yeah. um, I know that. Zodiac, like we were talking about this earlier, or I was about to talk about this earlier with you in person. How Zodiac has a really cool uh, Blu-ray release. Have you ever seen that? The cover of it. Yes, actually, I have. Yeah, like I saw that, and I was just like, "Wow!" Like, like the the letter one. Yeah, I like. I can't believe they actually allowed that, and it's just so unique, you know. Yeah, changing it so much. That's the weird thing about Zodiac, if we're talking about physical media. There's no one poster for Zodiac. I mean, there's the movie poster with the bridge and the three faces of the actors, but then you have those Blu-rays. There's one that's the Manila folder, like the case report type thing, and then there's the letter one. But, like, even I I got a poster for it in my room, and it's not the one. It's not the movie poster. It's 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 just the word Zodiac with the bridge in the background. It's weird. It's and I think that I think part of that is the fact that it wasn't like a triple A title, you know. It just kind of exists. Yeah. Not um, a lot of people talk about it, so what's there is there. Yeah. I guess that's another interesting thing about it, and also with uh, I guess retroactively, um, basically with Halloween 1978, and with this other movie that I'm about to talk about, I both own them on a 4K Blu-ray, which is interesting. Um how my two favorite movies were on the same format, and I have them on that format. I think that's cool. But it makes sense in a way. Yeah. Yeah. I think, like, the way I see it, like, 4K is, uh, not everything has to come to 4K Blu-ray, but, like, the stuff that does is, like, the classics, the big movies. Or just really yeah, the, the essentials. Yeah. Especially for, like, older movies shot on film. That stuff's great for it, of course. Yeah. Yeah, I just, and I guess I haven't mentioned that yet in the podcast, is that I just love physical media, I got into it last year pretty much, and yeah, it's been fun, I just, it's kind of my new hobby, I just love it, love collecting and having a physical representation of movies and media. Yeah, it's a, it's a flex. Yeah, but, <laughs> it's just, it's fun, it's fun to collect things, and I like, it's like, I, I, I flex about it, I tell my friends, hey, if you go in my brother's room, it's like going into the Criterion closet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun to just look at a shelf and see all that crap on it and to know that yeah. you're, not, you're not Amish. <laughs> yeah, you might be insane. Yeah, and it's a good way to waste money. 
Yeah. There, there are worse ways. Lots of worse ways. Yeah. This hurts nobody except your bank account. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, I guess with that, I should talk about my second movie. I think you already know what it is. Oh, yes. Yeah, I really just stuck with uh, the two obvious picks for me, which are my number one and my number two favorite movie. So basically, to get into my next movie, in my, even my last movie, I don't know, we'll see how it goes. My second favorite movie is the most recent Tarantino film, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So, you know, it's like, I I don't even know where to start with this one. Um, It's like, sometimes with media and with stories, not even movies, just movies per se, but like, I've had this with like a book or two, is where you just read it or you consume it, you watch it, and then like, for like six months after, you just think about it every day, at least once a day. That's just how it works for me, and and you just kind of become obsessed yeah. a little bit. And I think that process is really fun. I know it was for this movie. Yeah, and so I just absolutely love this movie. I feel like there is that connection there. I'll try, I think a general rule for this podcast is that we're going to try and not spoil too much about the movies, because that's kind of mean. Yeah. Yeah, that's very important for this movie without giving anything away. Um, yeah, and I just love so much about it. I love the characters, even though there's not really much. I love the themes. I love just the ideas this movie brings. And how, I don't know, I think there's nothing quite like this movie that I've seen so far. Well, I would argue about that. I was going to say something, actually. I, I draw comparisons between this and Zodiac. Really? Yeah, they're, I don't know, they're both these incredibly long, sometimes painfully long movies that are really slow at some points, and all they're really, all they, like, the thing they're most successful in is capturing the time period of a certain place, you know? Yeah, and funnily enough, for, for, like, the beginning of Zodiac and the entirety of this movie, um, they're actually the same time period, uh, the late 60s. Yeah. Um, There's some overlap. Yeah, but, yeah. But Tarantino's kind of the the anti-Fincher in the sense that he kind of alters history. (laughs) Yeah, for at least some of his movies. For good reason. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if he did if he did Zodiac, you know, he would have had he would have had the Mansons murder the Zodiac killer. (laughs) (laughs) Or you know, or something bizarre. And then Hitler's in there. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, Ted Ted Cruz gets assassinated. (laughs) Oh, he was the Zodiac killer. Um, yeah, so... No, he, would do a time, he would do a time travel movie where somebody finds, somebody has a theory about Ted Cruz in 2020 being the Zodiac Killer, and he goes back in time and kills baby Ted Cruz. I mean, I can't deny that he would do something like that, you know? Yeah. He's just out there. He comes up with crazy concepts, but fun concepts. Like, I heard once that, like, from a video essay that you could literally fill a small library with, like, in this case, Tarantino's movies and discussions about his films. But, like, you could do that with a lot of directors, like Fincher, like maybe even John Carpenter or Scorsese or... Uh, Tarantino, I would I would definitely argue that Tarantino is the biggest one to, like, that's been talked about extensively. Definitely, like, top three. I mean, everybody talks about Quentin Tarantino. 
Yeah, he just has such a distinct and, like, in-your-face style that you just kind of have to talk about. And it's just so adorable. There's something about it that is so... I'd argue that's what got him famous and got his films famous, is that his style is so likable and interesting. And that's really why we still know about him. (laughs) That's what's kept him... Well, yeah. How does... What... Okay, so Once Upon a Time is your favorite Tarantino. Yeah, by default. (laughs) Yeah, but how, why is that exactly? If we're just talking about Tarantino movies, what puts this above his other ones? Yeah, like, um, I should note that I also really, really like Pulp Fiction. I mean, who doesn't? But, like, yeah. um, you know, one of the top ten movies of the 90s, but, like, especially the ending. I love the ending of Pulp Fiction and how it all comes together. Oh. I, yeah, I just think, like, it's that connection, you know? I just, like... Something about Once Upon a Time got me, like, obsessed with the movie. And just everything about it. Yeah. Um, so, it's just, like I said, it's just kind of a default thing where, even though I love Pulp Fiction, and, you know, Reservoir Dogs is very, very good. Those are really the only three that I've seen so far. Or, well, also Jackie Brown. You know, it's just like, there's no real competition. Unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah, well, kind of. I... That's the thing. I would. We were talking about this yesterday. Me and my friends actually. I, I would never, ever say that Pulp Fiction isn't his best, but uh, Django is always my favorite. I think it's incredible. I, I mean, when you're talking about his top five best movies, they're all masterpieces. Yeah. It's just how it is. You can't. Re- it's hard to argue that. But Django is crazy as well. Also, Reservoir Dogs is underrated. Yeah, but yeah, Pulp Fiction is definitely. But that's the thing. I don't know. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is the first Tarantino movie that came out with me being a film person, you know? Yeah, yeah. Basically. Like, The Hateful Eight happened, but I didn't really care for that. I didn't see it. and I, Well, I did see it. I didn't see it for a while. But I watched it, and it's kind of one of his less spectacular ones. Yeah, yeah. So Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was, like, <laughs> this massive movie with Leo and Brad Pitt, the two, like, biggest actors ever. And it's about Hollywood, of all things, and nails it. It... Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is so weirdly different, but still lands. I don't understand it. I really don't understand the success of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I love it. It's probably my fourth favorite Tarantino movie. <laughs> it's just funny how uh, how the fourth one you still love, you know? It's crazy how yeah, you can accomplish I, that. Yeah I, I, yeah, I wouldn't want to nitpick it. I wouldn't want to think about it too much. It's just one of those... It's like a it's like an anthology movie in the sense that like a bunch of different perspectives, people just living in Hollywood, what it was like. There isn't really necessarily he he's such a plot driven guy and it was really like whiplash that once upon a time kinda <laughs> isn't plot centered. Yeah, like I was I was thinking about that and kinda like uh, the movie just grew on me and that's another aspect of it. But like I think with Tarantino he, what he does, one of the many things he does in movies is that he, he loves to take a very narrow slice of cinema, like a very, like a sub-sub-sub-genre, and make like a yeah. movie, like a whole homage to it in one or two or all of his movies or whatever. Like you saw this with Jackie Brown was kind of like a black exploitation movie. You had Death Proof. Oh, you saw Jackie Brown? Yeah, I saw it. I'm, I'm working my way through all the Tarantino movies in order. Oh, cool. So I got Jackie do, like, Brown is great. Cool. Yeah, it's underrated. 
Um, not yeah. like my favorite, but I appreciate it for what it is. And uh, I think that's Joe's. I think that's Joe's favorite. Really? Wow. I I I just know he loves it too. He always talk. He always brings it up in the discussion of Tarantino. <laughs> and which is uh, like a monthly thing. Yeah. And then you have like Kill Bill, which is like a kung fu Asian movie. You have Death Proof, which is like an homage to exploitation and like grindhouse movies of the 70s as well yeah um so yeah and i feel like with once upon a time he's like homing in on uh on like what are called hangout movies and like movies like that are like uh what's the uh dazed and confused yeah that's um, very true yeah where like get some get some beers and get some cheetos and get with your friends on a couch yeah exactly it's a hangout movie it's just like it's a good movie, it's great, but, like, it also is just really relaxing, and it's kind of like a slice of life, where, like, you just see people hanging out, and you see people being themselves. Yeah. Which is very... He also, at least in, like, the past two decades with his movies, he kind of strives to make a very blatantly obvious political uh, statement about things, and it's funny, because I would say that my... Well, I love Django, but some... My, my other top five Tarantino movies aren't are his ones that aren't focused on that. His nonsensical ones tend to be the most enjoyable for me. Yeah. Like once upon a, once upon a time isn't saying much other than you know, a group of bad people did bad things. It's not race based or political necessarily, but same thing with Pulp Fiction kinda and you know the Kill Bills to some degree. Yeah. And those are the ones I can sit down and watch on repeat. But you know I can't. I can't always sit down and watch Inglorious Bastards, but I could probably sit down once a week and watch Pulp Fiction or Once Upon a Time or Django. Yeah, and I think, like, I think generally, like, people generally rank, like, Tarantino movies a certain way, and, um, as they do with a lot of things. And I feel like Once Upon a Time is kind of in the middle, where, you know, as for me, it's my favorite, so it's kind of, like, weird. It's weird how that's kind of blunted, but I can see what they mean, you know? It's not... I can see flaws with it, you know? Yeah. And I feel like it's kind of inevitable for somebody like Tarantino to stumble in movies. Because he started out so strong, you know, with res with that one-two punch of Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction within, like, two years. I mean, that's just yeah. insane. Yeah. I think Once Upon a Time, it's easy to say it for some movies... But I think Once Upon a Time wears its flaws on its sleeve. You know, it's really just a splice of life thing. And uh, I don't know, for some reason you watch that movie and you feel like the slow scenes where the pacing kind of fails, he's completely aware that it is. It's weird. It's kind of it's kind of perfect in that sense. Yeah. Kind of untouchable. Yeah. And it's just like... <laughs> it's just like him enjoy. It's like, I feel like this is the movie that Tarantino's always wanted to make. And he's had it in yeah. the back of his mind for, like, 25 years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and he's just, out of his outside of his movies, he's just, like, a fascinating guy. It's weird. Yeah, though. he's really, like, he's a character. Yeah, and he has, like, and he also really appreciates film. Kind of like Scorsese, too. Where, yeah. um, you know, he's not just in it for the money, and it's obvious that he right. loves the craft of cinema. Which is a good thing, obviously. 
I'd be fine if this was his last, you know? Yeah, I wouldn't but. mind. Although it would be a bit sad. <laughs> yeah, it'd be sad. I mean, he'd probably come out of retirement and make one last movie at some point. That's how it goes usually. But, I mean, I, I was disappointed when it kind of got confirmed that he's not going to do a Star Trek movie. Because I would love to see that. Yeah, or just something different for him. Like, horror or straight comedy. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I think with that, unless you have anything else to say about that movie, we can move on to your second movie. Okay, I I actually had, I kind of had to go through, I was juggling a few things when I thought of this, because there are many places and many people that'll tell you, I have it written down in many places, and I've said it a lot, that Rose, Rosemary's Baby is my second favorite, and that I love everything that Roman Polanski's done. I'm kind of He's an awful person, he, he's done bad things, but... His Macbeth movie's fantastic, and Rosemary's Baby is fantastic, and he had, like, a trilogy of apartment movies that were based in apartments, and it's cool, but I don't want to say that that's my second favorite. I think, to me, it's my second, like, most appreciated. I think it's a masterpiece piece of cinema, and very important, but it's not my second favorite. My second favorite is Scream. Oh, wow. Well, I don't. Yeah, I don't know if that's surprising for you, but I at one point it, at one point in time it was Zodiac, then Rosemary's Baby, then Scream, but uh, Scream just speaks to me on so many levels. I think I think it is like this movie that spawned this mainstream way of being meta, and I think it's also one of the funny. I, I don't know how Scream did this, and it kind of lends itself to that Tarantino discussion we were having, but Scream has this insane ability. It's like night and day of being one of the funniest comedies ever and also being one of the most horrific, realistic, graphic, gory, dark, most terrifying movies ever. I mean, this movie like shook me to my core when I watched it when I was like six or four or something. I don't know how young I was, but this movie terrified me. Ghostface is terrifying, and I mean... I watch this movie I, probably yearly, I think, and every time I watch it, I think my perspective changes on it a little bit. I always like it, but I look at it differently. I wa- This year, we watched it around Halloween time, me and my friends. And uh, I, I, Josh and Jordan actually hadn't seen it, I don't think, but I was showing it to them, basically, and I was able to look at it through this lens. Like This movie is kind of a school shooting movie. I mean, it's a localized set of killings, and... As a kid, I kind of just watched it, and I put it in this category of slasher movies, these old retro fantastic franchise movies like Friday the 13th, Nightmare, Halloween, all those. But it's not like that. Uh, Scream stayed pure, and it wasn't just a formula movie. If you watch Scream 1, there's so much nuance in that movie, and it's ridiculous. And the music is this weird 90s boombox walking in the school hallways type music that really like doesn't sound like anything. I can't pinpoint what genre the Scream soundtrack is. It's so bizarre. It's like weird. Like a quiet establishing shot will have this blaring weird music. And it's so bizarre. Um, and then there's this great cast. I mean, Neve Campbell is fantastic and Courtney Cox and David Arquette. It's, it's, it was like, it's kind of star studded, but it has, it does this wonderful thing where it's like, Telling you this is the formula. We are doing what many dozens of movies have done before us, but we're going to just 
middle finger those movies and explain the tropes. And it's interesting because if you look at Scream, that's kind of the first time that ever happened. And it was like blatantly making fun of that entire genre of movies. It makes fun of them and honors them at the same time. I don't know how, but Scream is this oxymoron of a movie that is so perfect. And it, the the cherry on top is that it's also a fantastic mystery. And you don't, on first viewing, you do not know who the killers are. I know Josh didn't even, Josh had no clue. And this movie's aging like fine wine. And everybody's talked about this movie a ton and how important it was. But I can't stress that enough. It, it has, it has everything. It is serious. It's sad. It's kind of, it's like a perfect movie to me. I mean, you can watch it for the high school drama. That's very apt and feels exactly like what I imagine the nineties was. And also happens to be hilarious and have this weird, cool mystery with a like solid nuance outcome. And yeah, I think it's a masterpiece. I cannot, you, it's, it's hard to come at, it's hard to nitpick a meta movie. You know, there isn't much like you, if you, if you, if you're cynical towards a movie that's already cynical, it cancels out and it's kind of, you can't do it. But I think scream nails that to a T and, uh, I'll never stop praising it. Huh? I never, I never, well, I knew that you liked Scream, but I didn't know it was, like, your second favorite. Wow. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you know, this is, like, literally our mom's favorite movie. It always has been. <laughs> she saw it in theaters, yeah. like, five times um, back in the day. And, um, yeah, you know, I think it's another, it's kind of, like, exactly the same thing with Zodiac for me. Like, I can appreciate what it is and what it does. And it's a very good movie, I'll acknowledge that. But it's just, like, doesn't connect with me as well as it does with you or with our mom. But, yeah, very, very important for the genre. Kind of a return for Wes Craven. Made him even more well-known and established. Yeah, it's like a second coming for him. It's ridiculous. I, It's so hard to connect the dots between his 80s, 70s stuff and this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he kind of had, like, a meta phase. It was weird. Like, if you see... Um, new I Nightmare? Think, I think A New Nightmare, uh, Wes Craven's A New Nightmare, is even more meta than Scream, in a way. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think it's. I think, I think New Nightmare is great, and it's a lot of fun, but I don't... I think Scream is grounded in a way where... And maybe it's just because it did it first, but Scream is just poking fun at it, you know? And having a ton yeah. of fun while also being a good murder mystery and a good horror movie. It's weird. Yeah, it is weird. It's a lot of different things at once, and it just works really well. Uh, paced. It's paced perfectly. I mean, there's nothing that drags in it. It's fast. And everybody's so quirky in that movie. Like, all the characters are so drastic, and it's great. And even the sequels are pretty, pretty solid. Like, 2 kind of does the meta thing again in a different way, where it's kind of referential of the first movie in the scream like the first scream but then is still fun not nearly as good and then three's kind of bad and then even four was pretty fun it's ridiculous and now five's coming out yeah 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 like i don't know i guess scream is one of those movies that's just it's just kind of there and i also haven't really seen it like it's always on tv and i always see parts of it but i haven't sat down and watched the whole thing in like so so long and so I really think I need to do that. But yeah, I think if you do, you'll find yourself enjoying it, just like Halloween, kinda. 
Yeah, I definitely want to. Yeah, just kind of... And it also just, you kind of got into this too, but it kind of like started this whole trend of like horror movies and slash movies aimed at teenagers in like the second half of the 90s and like early 2000s, which is kind of funny. Yeah. And, you know, like I know what you did last summer and Urban Legend and stuff like that. And yeah. those are those are kind of like fun time capsules. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I, it's it's funny that people just kind of miss the entire point. Like you could say Halloween and Texas Chainsaw inspired this wave of movies that, in some cases, kind of matched the quality of Halloween. But with with Scream, it's kind of not a movie that you're supposed to try and emulate because it's so meta and it was like original. And that's kind of the same argument with maybe there shouldn't be any Scream sequels, but. There are copycats of Scream that exist, and they just try and they just cut out all the all the nuance of Scream and do this weird thing, and they're like not good. <laughs> like yeah. they're fun. Don't get me wrong. I have fun with. I know what you did last summer, but it's just like why? <laughs> did you miss the entire point of Scream? Yeah, it just doesn't have that soul and that care. Yeah, it's like they it's like they made those movies, and those movies are what Scream is making fun of. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I don't really have anything to say for, like, physical media for Scream. I guess, like... I don't yeah, know. I don't know much about that. Yeah, I've looked it up a bit. It's like, there was a there was a three-pack that came out, like, last year or two years ago. So that's probably the easiest way and, like, the cheapest way to get a hold of the first three. Scream 4 is kind of like... Yeah. Like, if you, if you go after a movie, like, from ten years ago, it kind of, like, it's kind of in this, like, blind spot where it's hard to get just itself, you know? Maybe yeah. you get Scream 4 bundled with something, I don't know. I don't know, I'll look that up right now. I'm looking at it right now. There's not a, There's no 4K, which is kind of crazy to me. Yeah, not yet. Whoa. I think Shrek is coming to 4K. Oh, fantastic. I think that just got announced, wow, that's funny. Oh, good. And also Fast and the Furious, the first one. Because they're both uh, oh. 20 years old this year. Interesting. So yeah, Scream 4 hasn't really had any releases since it came out. I think I think the physical media will get a resurgence with 5, honestly. Yeah, yeah. It'll be like 12 years old there, or 11. Uh, yeah. Probably, probably get a re-release. But it's like 15 bucks right now, or like 18 so... Yeah. Sort of more expensive than it should be, but... Yeah, I dream is one of those movies where I think it's a sin that it's not Criterion, to be honest. Really? Yeah, I mean, look at it. I mean, if we're talking about Criterion doing, like, Stepping Stone movies, and... Like, they do all the classics and the contemporary classics, but... Scream is kind of the face of contemporary classics for me. Yeah, I see what you mean. Like, they did, uh... They've done, like, Silence of the Lambs and stuff. And all, they always do, um... You know, important movies for genres and for the yeah. whole, uh, medium. So, yeah. That would be interesting, definitely. Wes Craven has nothing on Criterion. Yeah, that's unfortunate. It's a, it's a shame. I mean, he's, he's dead, and... We gotta honor him. He yeah. really did a lot. He's honestly not talked about enough. Yeah. I mean, he made, like, 
really big franchises, but how often do people really take them seriously? Yeah. Yeah, that was a sad death. Yeah, and I feel like he was so young. Like, younger than you would expect. Yeah. It was a, it was a brain tumor, I think. Yeah, that just sucks. Yeah. So yeah, I just think for another... For one final movie that, not really one that's one of my favorites, but one that I did really like, is uh, is the original Blade Runner. Oh. Yeah, and we were just kind of talking about this earlier, but like, I don't know, we didn't really talk about the movie, but like, it's, I don't know, it's kind of this, my story around it is kind of interesting, like, I, back before COVID, I rented it on DVD from, from my college, and, you know, I watched it, and, like, sometimes you just watch a movie, and it just doesn't feel right. Like, you're not in the right circumstance, you're not up for it. Just some some factors get in the way, and, like, that's kind of what I had with that. Like, I watched it, it was not what I expected. Yeah. Yeah, and, like, I just didn't get it, didn't get the most out of it. But, and then, I don't know what caused it. I think I just wanted to rewatch it, like, a year later but basically last summer i think because of the whole physical media thing i wanted to see both the blade runner movies on uh physical media see how good they look and everything yeah so i rewatched blade runner and yeah that time it really uh it really clicked with me i kind of i got it i was in the right mindset for it i it was the right circumstance and the stars just kind of aligned and i really liked it um you know like i said not not like something that I have a huge connection with, but I still felt really good about it. I liked it a lot. For those who don't know, it's just like a, one of the most <laughs> beloved sci-fi movies ever made. Yeah. From the early 80s. It didn't do really well when it came out, even though it had uh, Harrison Ford, who was a huge actor from Star Wars and Indiana Jones, but it didn't do well financially, which is unfortunate. But like... It did get it. It's like cult following, and people really learned to love it, and it found its audience. And yet, yeah, it also, it just has like three or four different cuts of the same film. And there are some. Yeah. It's just one of those situations where there's not even two cuts of the film. There's like at least three that have come out in the decades since. And kind of the definitive one is the final cut, and that's the one that I saw both times. The final cut, which came out on Blu-ray in 2007. But, um, yeah. yeah, there's also, like, another one where Harrison Ford has narration over it, his character, Deckard, and people openly say that that version is inferior and everything. But, yeah, without spoiling too much, it's just very, uh, it's based off of a book, I think, by Philip K. Dick, and it's just very Oh, the good. sheep one? Yeah. Do, do androids dream, dream of electric sheep? sheep. Yep. And, Renamed uh, Blade Runner. Do androids dream of electric sheep? <laughs> yeah, very weird type. Very like. Didn't now? Didn't he face some lawsuits for that because he didn't really fess up to it be it being an adaptation? Like Ridley Scott, the director. Yeah, I thought I heard about that. Uh, I don't know. I don't think I've heard of that, but I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah, I don't think he ever gave credit to the book. Really? Hmm. At first, at least. Weird. Yeah, maybe he thought he could get away with it. Like, too. It was too loose, you know? Yeah, um, who knows? Who's Philip K. Dick? You know, he's a nobody. 
Yeah. Yeah, basically the premise of the movie is that it's set in the far future of 2019, <laughs> and, but, yeah, it's set in the future, and it's, it really invented the whole steampunk aesthetic, or no, cyberpunk? Yeah, cyberpunk. Aesthetic. Yeah. I mix them up. It really invented that whole thing where you have very industrialized future, like, the whole movie is set in the rain and at night, which is kind of funny. Yeah. Um, and it's just very stylized in how it looks. Looks very good. Yeah, the special effects in this movie are just great. I think if they didn't win the Oscar, they should have because they're just amazing. They truly do hold up, which is just insane because this is really, really, yeah. really early CGI. So yeah, that's a great feat in and of itself. And it's just, even without all of that, it's just a really good and like poetic story like quite beautiful with some very nice themes and it just has a whole style around it where it's just so iconic and classic that you just kind of have to love it especially the ending i loved the ending not just the iconic moment that i'm not going to spoil but the iconic moment that people always talk about but what follows after that and just the implications of it, it it was just great yeah and yeah really great first movie then they have the sequel which is also very very good from Denis fantastic sequel fantastic really what's the phrase it uh lives up to the hype it doesn't ruin the original at all it's just kind of a companion piece doesn't try to be better or anything truly a Hollywood movie it's truly a Hollywood sequel that is worthy and like is justified and is really good but yeah, so... Um, oh, Blade, Blade Runner's on Hulu. I think I'm going to watch it tonight. Yeah, I saw that. I think it just got added recently. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think... Very good movie. Not really necessarily fun, but like... Classic, and just really well done. Really solid. Yeah. I, think I, I think ultimately I do like it better than, than the sequel. But that's not to say the sequel is bad. Far from it. It's very, very good. I can't really praise they're, them. They're pretty neck and they're pretty neck and neck for me. Yeah, it's kind of hard. I gotta rewatch. I gotta rewatch one. <laughs> yeah, what are your thoughts on Blade Runner? I assume you've seen it before. <clears throat> yeah, I, I've seen it once, only once, a long time ago. But it's something that gets brought up a lot in discussion with me, and I don't know. I I like it a lot. It's not one of my favorites, and I don't think about it all the time. But I. Like, I get it. It's very... It came out at the perfect time, I feel like. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you say, especially about the effects. Those effects are ridiculous. The music is also iconic. Oh, yeah. I and uh, I think... Yeah, I think in the, I think in this age of sci-fi movies that it was surrounded by, it kind of got overshadowed. And that's part of the reason I like 2049 so much is because it kind of put Blade Runner back on the map. Yeah. That's basically it. I don't, I, I don't have a lot to say about Blade Runner. I was more... I was more blown away by the second one, honestly. But it might be because I haven't seen the first one in a really long time. Yeah, just very good Ridley Scott movie. Yeah. He kind of has good and bad movies, hit or miss, you know? Yeah, Ridley Scott's cool. Yeah, I've only seen like two of his movies, but... Yeah. Yeah. 
Alien is fantastic. Yeah, that's the other one. He did The Martian, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we saw that. That was good. He's one of those guys, he's like so centralized with sci-fi stuff, it's weird. Everybody associates him with that, but he's done so much other stuff, like American Gangster. Yeah, yeah. Glad and like Gladiator. Gladiator's weird. I don't really like Gladiator. Yeah, I've never seen it, but I... It was big in its time, but like, I don't think it really would hold up all that well. But it's still yeah. solid, I guess. From what I've heard. He's doing. A, he's coming out with something that not a lot of people are talking about. He's he, he's making he's making a crime like, like a biographical movie called House of Gucci. And it's coming out in November. It's just focusing on like rich people, I guess. I don't know much about it, but I know it's coming. But yeah, we got Ridley Scott this year. Weird. I don't think I had ever heard about that. Yeah, it's strange. Yeah, it is. Weird. Him doing a documentary. I don't even, I don't think it's a documentary. I think it's just a biographical drama. Yeah. Adam Driver's in it. Did you see that? You, you've seen those pictures of Adam Driver skiing, haven't you? Recently? No. It's like, a, it's like, a, it's this meme going around. It's just Adam Driver, pictures of Adam Driver skiing with a white sweater on, big dorky glasses. And it's like set photos from this movie. It's uh, Lady Gaga. Lady Gaga and Adam Driver. Yeah, I saw they had that picture. Yeah. Interest. Wait, there's a Gladiator 2 being made? Oh, really? Yeah, I guess so. Wow. What if it's like Logan, where it's the same character, just like 20 years later? That'd be pretty sick. Yeah, yeah. that'd be interesting. He's doing another Alien prequel. Wow. Oh god, that needs to die. Yeah, like I don't, I don't know why he's still attached to that. Yeah. Yeah, if I was him, I would just like, I would just want to come out with something huge again, you know? Yeah. I would love to see a modern sci-fi thing from him that's not alien. <laughs> yeah, like an original IP would be great. Oh. Hopefully. We don't get enough of those anymore. Okay, so yeah, anyway, what would be your third film that you'd want to talk about? Well, my third is weird and either very expected or unexpected from you, but I don't want to... I have lists of my favorite movies, or what I call my most important movies, and I don't even know where this ranks on that list, but it's something I want to talk about because it's like a, it's a way I can streamline it because it's not necessarily a movie. I'm kind of talking about the whole thing, but uh, I'm talking about Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me. Okay, yeah. I thought when you started talking about that, I thought you would mention Twin Peaks. Yeah. The thing with the thing with Fire Walk With Me is that it's this very blatant prequel. Like, the whole point of this movie is that it's a prequel. It's It takes the premise of Twin Peaks, the death of Laura Palmer, and kind of backtracks and just explains and depicts how it happened and that's not a spoiler because that literally happens within the first 10 seconds or 10 minutes of the twin peaks but the whole show revolves around it and they're just it's it's this movie that was flooded with production problems and it's weird because you talk about directors selling out a lot and kind of doing 
big franchise stuff and they uh, sacrifice their vision so that they can make money. But David Lynch has never been about that. Actually, when when there there was a big slog in season two of Twin Peaks where it gets bad because they wrap up a mystery that David Lynch wanted to never get solved. So when that happened, he was so mad at ABC for forcing it to happen that he left the show for like 10 episodes and he came back and made the last six episodes. And it's just hilarious. Like he gets so mad at studios and it's so commendable because he's just a nice guy. Like he's not stern and he's not aggressive or anything, but he just actually is so passionate about his art. And he came back in a blaze of glory and finished, finished Twin Peaks in a beautiful but tragic way. And then Fire Walk With Me is this weird kind of perfect movie that, well, it's not perfect. It's just does a lot of things for the franchise where it feels wrong to call this a franchise because it's it doesn't read that way. It reads as one long, weird epic that you can just follow or not follow because it's hard to, but Fire Walk With Me is kind of disjointed and has some pacing problems, but Laura Palmer is kind of what this whole thing revolves around. And I think one of the running things in the first two seasons of Twin Peaks was that you never, you're never going to meet Laura. You're never going to hear her talk. You're never going to see her walk or anything. She just exists. And everybody knew her and everybody loved her. But Fire Walk With Me, somehow, by some stroke of magic that only David Lynch could pull off, depicts Laura in a way that is exactly how you imagined her. And it's also, in my opinion, David Lynch's most violent, graphic, gory, most disturbing movie there is. But it's also so beautiful and poetic. And then he, 25 years after season two ended, made The the Return, which is basically the season three. And there are so many things that happen in Firewalk with me, which is a prequel from before season one, that like so many things happen in Firewalk with me that are like explained in the return and it's so crazy that the return the return does this thing where it doesn't retcon things from the original show it just prompts new mysteries that don't interfere with the original two seasons and that's a gift to me i mean firewalk with me is basically the only prequel that i'll ever accept i think that i'll ever be like yeah this is a righteous prequel i love that this exists because twin peaks ends so tragically that you are just left wanting more and you get more, and everybody was so excited. Everybody was pissed off when this movie came out because everybody wanted a season three, and he didn't say that it was going to be a prequel, but then it was a prequel, and everybody was like mad about it. But now it's kind of a cult movie, and it's fantastic, and I love it. I can't wait for you to see it. Yeah, like it should be noted that I've never really been into David Lynch, and that you are very much into him right now. And like we've been watching Twin Peaks for the past few weeks now. So me for the first time, of course. And yeah, it's just like, so like, not describable. <laughs> it's, yeah. uh, it's like funny, but it's also kind of dramatic and weird. It's a, it's, a so, it's a soap opera. Yeah, yeah. It's like a soap opera with like 10 different twists to it. Yeah. Yeah, also kind of like The Simpsons. Yeah. In that there's all these, there's like a laundry list of characters they have to keep up with. And yeah, it's pretty fun. I don't know how, what I'll think of David Lynch when I see more of his work, but like, you know, I, I see that a lot of people appreciate him and I want, I want to like him. 
But yeah, having like a Twin Peaks movie, even though it's a prequel, because of what you said and what I've seen so far, it seems interesting, and I'd like to see it. Look forward to it. Yeah. Yeah. Twin Peaks, uh, Twin Peaks as an IP, I think, has made the most impact on me in terms of cinema. I don't think anything has touched me the way that Twin Peaks has. It's bizarre. It's beautiful to me, and I we I talk about it and think about it every single day since I finished it. I can't get enough of it. Even 18 hours worth of a season three wasn't enough for me. Like I, and it's not even that I want more. It's just that I'm content with loving this thing that honestly means the world to me. Like I'll probably be talking about it till I die. It's it's ridiculous. It I I hope that I I think that it has that impact on a lot of people that watch it. Probably the majority, but it's so it's so bizarre. It's this perfect show that does everything that television does in one show. And words can't really describe it, honestly. Yeah, like, we haven't even really talked about the premise of the show. Like, very... Basically, the uh, the original first two seasons were about the death of this character, Laura Palmer, uh, senior in high school. And so it's a big mystery, but, like, as things progress, you learn more and more, and it just gets crazier and crazier and more Lynchian. Yeah, and David Lynch is a very uh, particular director. Um, oh yeah, he's very—I don't know—eccentric. He's very uh, out there. Yeah, um, he, he's taught—he's taught me this valuable lesson about making movies and writing. Where uh, I don't know—I—I I always wanted to do abstract things that were inherently kind of surreal, because that's how my brain likes to write things when I do. And he's just kind of opened my eyes to the fact that with cinema you can just be as abstract as you want and people can look at it and get feelings from it and these things sound so obvious but when you really delve into david lynch it's personified and it's really powerful yeah it's like it's like a different like feeling than like your standard plot-based movie where everything has rules yeah um, you can get those point. You can get those points across, and you don't need to be so literal. Yeah, yeah. It's just like it's uh, great. Really treating it as art. Yeah, I really, I really got to see more of his stuff through the Criterion yeah. Collection or whatever. Yeah. Would you say if like, I talk about it? I mean, what? Oh, what were you gonna say? I said if I talk about Twin Peaks too much, my brain starts to melt. Well, yeah, naturally. <laughs> That's kind of the point. Yeah, I was just going to ask, what... Do you think David Lynch is your favorite director? Like, especially right now? I... It's... There's this weird thing that guilts you into not into wanting to say that something that you've just recently discovered isn't your favorite thing, but honestly, it's pretty hard to say that he's not my favorite. I mean, everything he does is beautiful to me he just does what he wants but he's also loving and kind he's not a jerk about it he's he doesn't he doesn't stress the importance of his vision like tarantino does he doesn't he's not a he 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 actually is just charismatic about it and he's so kind and it's so easy to be intimidated by people like tarantino because they can kind of be jerks just the way they are and david lynch anybody can walk up to that man and he'll give you something to think about yeah. So that's important to me. He's also taught me so many lessons already, just from existing. So. Yeah, he's quite the quite the character. Yeah. From what I've seen, at least. 
yeah, you, you can you can laugh at him, you can listen to him. It's it's insane. It's like he is a breathing version of what he makes. I mean, he is so surreal and weird and goofy, and he's a meme. Like people in the film community make jokes about him. Like he's a he he is a meme. He's the laughing stock of everything, but also. He has some of the most valuable things to say. He has some great speeches from awards he's won. I, I call him the Mr. Rogers of cinema. <laughs> I call him the dark side Mr. Rogers. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's how he, he, he takes a similar approach to things. It's like, it's like Bob Ross also. It's like Bob Ross will talk about painting like he talks about cinema. Yeah, I guess I never really thought about it like that. But yeah, that is very true. Yeah. Yeah, that's all I have to say. <laughs> yeah. And also, with we were just talking about this too, but Twin Peaks has some nice physical media. <laughs> oh yeah, very nice. You got the movie Firewalk With Me in the Criterion Collection, very premium label. And yeah, you can buy the whole series right now. I think, I just saw that, I looked it up, and uh, that whole thing came out like two years ago, the uh, the box set of the three seasons. Yeah, that's a it's it's great box. It's a great box set. The fact that one of it one of the seasons is just a streaming service thing, and it's on physical media. That's always good to see. Yeah, yeah. Netflix is kind of good with that stuff, I think. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I feel like a lot of that is David Lynch. You know, certain directors and filmmakers just like they really actually like physical media, and they you know prefer it. Kind of like uh, yeah, Christopher Nolan and uh, others. I feel like David Lynch is one of those. And I can appreciate yeah, that. I like that. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. So I think with that, do you have anything you would like to add? No, I'm set. Yeah, I think we really covered a lot. Yeah. yeah. So I guess with that, thank you very much, Austin, for coming on. Oh, yeah being part of the project yes and thank you also to you listening at home I appreciate your support and interest in what I had to say as a matter of fact this podcast is sponsored by listeners like you thank you and I would also like to thank Crowander and Ketza the artists whose music was used in the intro and outro for this podcast even though the music is royalty-free, I would like to shout them out and thank them for their hard work on their music, and I really liked it, and I just wanted to show support for them. And yeah, thank you once again for listening and being interested in this podcast. I greatly appreciate it. This has been the Between the Walls podcast with me, Timothy Laws. Thank you. Goodbye. Goodbye.